This is a um, this is a very timely topic because the question is the peace that seems to elude us. How do we make peace? We are clearly not in a state of peace by any's de- anybody's definition. Um, most people consider, you know, they think that like Mexico and the Americans are at peace. Not so sure Mexican and American forces are at peace. They're not fighting, but I'm not sure they're at peace, right? Are we at peace with Iran? Clearly not. How do we find peace? What is peace? So this is a, a pretty central topic in Judaism. It appears in many places. We, every time we bench, we talk about right? every time we say Kaddish, multiple points during the davening. Uh, but the the earliest text in Davini that talks about peace is actually the end of the Shemana Esra. And um, the end of the Shemana Esra is questionable on a number of levels. First of all, I'm referring obviously to the bracha of Sim Shalom. It's so nice to see you guys. It's great. Can you hear me in the back? Yeah. This is awesome. This, cl- this experiment worked. I remember sitting here with Scott and trying to figure out if this would work echo-wise. So, that's awesome. Um, so, this bracha of Sim Shalom um, is generally perceived to be about Shalom. Peace. And the truth is, that's correct, because the end of the bracha is, right? Shalom, right? It's all about peace. But if you look more carefully at this bracha, it's really not all about peace. Sim Shalom, Tova, Bracha, Chaim, Chain, Chesed, Rachamim. I'm leaving out all the Sephardi editions. Just because there's a limit to how much we can do in a short amount of time, I apologize. Right? But uh, they tend to be more verbose. But um, what uh, what is this bracha all about? What are all these additional items? So I want to share with you a couple of ideas about peace, and in the process, I want to see if we can take a closer look at what's going on around us right now. How do we arrive at peace in Aza? Right? Is that you know? I don't know if you're aware. Um, but, you know, today is, uh, in case anybody listens to this, I guess we'll date it. Today is, uh, what is it, the 23rd of Tevet, I think, right? Um, somebody looked that up. Not sure. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. 23rd of Tevet. And it's the 4th of January, let me name, right? Of 2024, right? Okay. And we're still fighting in Aza. I mean, this all started on October 7th. Um, and you're reading in the newspapers that they're trying to tone it down. You know, they're going from, stage one was the initial shock and the attempt to recapture, you know, all the areas, Be'eri and, and Faraz and all these kibbutzim, Sderot, the police station, right? This was like a week of really intense fighting just to get back in control. Stage two was an attempt to decimate Hamas in Aza. We can debate what the goals were and perhaps uh, find some of the hostages. And now they're talking about entering stage three. Stage three is a much longer process. It's basically Israeli forces in Aza maintaining control of Aza and hunting down terrorist squads, as opposed to frontal warfare with a terrorist army, right? It's very different when you're sort of, you know, entering a tunnel looking for mechablim, for terrorists, and confronting battalions of terrorists. Not so clear that that's ended yet. In my opinion, it hasn't, but it will. Bezrat Hashem. So let's say you get to that point. 
Where does that end? Does that end with, since we're not in stage two of war, we're okay with stage three of war, which is where we've been for a long time? Is there a way to get to stage five? What is stage five? Is stage five, you know, where they can't fire at us and their Arabs are willing to live with us? What about, like, we shop there, they shop with us, anybody wants to do giyur, we tell them no, but they really want to, and we have that discussion. Like, how far are we willing to go? How far do we get to? How do we get there? And is that what this bracha is all about? And I would argue that that's only half of what this bracha is about. So let's talk about this, okay? Take a look, okay? First of all, by the way, what is this doing here? Why is this the last bracha? Now, if you think about this, Shalom should be a stage in the process of Gulah. Anybody, anybody who takes a, 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 a closer look at the process of Shmona Esrei realizes that there's a very large focus on redemption. And you have a number of brachot that would seem to present different stages of redemption. For example, before you can have a Beis HaMikdash, you have a Shiva Shoftah Kerishana. You have to have like judges and leadership, right? Yes, Shoftim Yerushalayim. Before you have the basic mikdash, you have to have David Amalach at Semach David. There's a process of Gula. Different things have to happen. And for those of you in Shanabat, when we get up to those brachot, and for those of you who are alumni, you know, if you're curious in continuing this journey, all you have to do is send me WhatsApp. I'll send you a recording every week. But 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 Sim Shalom would seem to be part of that process. Like when we arrive at peace, then we'll have a Sanhedrin, we'll have a Mashiach, we'll have a basic mikdash. Except that Sim Shalom is already at the end. Do we have to have Gilah and the Beit Midash to have Shalom? That's the first question. And then, of course, we have to ask, well, what is Shalom, right? Now, half the world, and we're sort of categorizing, or some of us are categorizing them as anti-Semites, already on October 8th wanted a ceasefire. And the perception of most Jews in the world, and certainly pretty much all the Israelis, was, no, that's not a ceasefire, that's a capitulation. You can't do that. You can't leave a terrorist entity like that there. So we ignored it. But now those calls are getting stronger, and you're starting to hear that question. By the way, it's interesting. In Israel, there is pretty much no significant voice that is suggesting that they're interested in a permanent ceasefire. There are some who are starting to say maybe a temporary ceasefire so that we can get hostages out. That's a legitimate question. You know, we could weigh in on that at the end. But what is a ceasefire? Ceasefire is not peace, (coughs) right? So what exactly is peace, okay? And what's this list? And maybe a couple more questions. Take a look, listen to what I'm about to read you. Tell me what's the grammatical problem. What is the grammatical problem here, okay? Sim shalom, tova ubracha, chen, vachesed, verachamim. Okay? What's the problem? Right, what's that extra vav doing there? It should be sim shalom, tova, bracha, chen, chesed, verachamim. Why is it sim shalom, tova, ubracha, chen, vachesed, verachamim? Now, the vav in front of chesed has to do with the letter chet. I'm going to spare you the linguistic discussion. There's an extra vav there. What would be the obvious way to understand that extra vav? I'm going to read it again. Sim shalom, tova, ubracha, chen, vachesed, verachamim. What would be the obvious way to understand that? Anybody? And? These are two groups. Sim shalom. Shalom is the overall, the overarching rubric. Do right, you have enough chairs? Yes, it's good. Uh, no, bring it around this way, right? Sim shalom. What is shalom? So actually, there are two types of shalom. There is tova bracha, that's one group. With me, and then there is chen chesed v'rachmi. 
So there are two types of shalom. We'll use the word peace, even though shalom is not really peace. What's, what, what does shalom actually mean? Where does it come from? Shlema, wholeness. Holiness, with the WH, right? Okay? There are two different ideas of being whole. Two types of peace. One is tova bracha, and one is chen chesed and rachamim. And the truth is that we know that there are also two types of different peace in the world. What are the two types of different peace in the world? What do we strive for? There's like temporary peace and like lasting peace. Nope. I mean, that may be true, but one of them isn't peace and one of them is. I'm talking about two totally different types of peace. I actually think they're related to each other, yeah? Like outer peace and inner peace? Ah, there is outer peace. What's outer peace? Outer peace is, you know... um, the Haredi who was uh, screaming at the guy driving his car on Shabbos, or the Yachim Laneshek who was screaming at the Haredi because he wants uh, subsidies, and so on and so forth. They're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're screaming at each other. They're not at peace with each other. And then all this happens, and they put aside their differences, and they're at peace with each other because they've got bigger things to talk about. That's one type of peace. Then there's inner peace. What is inner peace? Inner peace means that you're shalem. Vayavo Yaakov shalem irshchem. What does that mean? Right? That is the moment that he first purchases a section in Eretz Israel. The story of Yosef has not happened yet. He has inner peace. Right? He's ready for Vayeshev. He's ready, right? Bikesh Yaakov lashevet b'shalva, the mentor says. He wants to be in peace. So we, not, we need to understand that. By the way, one more question. Why is Al-Kol Yisrael, if you read the bracha here, right? Hu Yaseh Shalom Aleinu at the end of Kaddish. Al-Kol Yisrael, Vimru Amen. Why don't we just say Al Yisrael? What does it mean to be Kol Yisrael? We'll get to that. So let's talk about this a little bit, okay? This bracha is basically the summation of the entire Shmanasri, okay? It's what it's all about. And we end with peace because without having inner peace, you do not have the kli, you don't have the vessel to create peace in the world, okay? Um, In order for us, like, think about the sequence of events that has happened here in Israel, okay? They're not accidental. We went to war on October 7th. You could make a case for saying we were already at war before October 7th. They were just two different kinds of wars. The war that we were already in, but not everybody was aware of it, because Hamas on October 6th and Hamas on October 7th, same Hamas. Just, they're doing something on October 7th that we didn't realize they would do on October 6th. But they did. So we're really at war with them, maybe we don't realize it. Okay. But there was another type of war going on in this country before October 7th. And that was actually a big problem. Now, I get nervous when people look at events and say, this is why Hashem did this. I don't think that's a healthy way to speak. But to imagine that these two periods of time are right next to each other, that one replaced the other, and that's totally random, that would, that would stretch my imagination. When the Jewish people are not at peace with each other, they don't deserve any type of peace. And if we ever want to be at peace, then we have to be at peace. The biggest question here, if you want to understand really what's going on here, is not what happens in Azza the day after. We'll get to that if you want. Right? The real, happen, the real question is what happens in Israel the day after. Right? Are we at peace with each other? And in order to be at peace with each other, you know, I'll give you an example. I went to a Hafkana. Okay? 
And uh, because I felt as a responsible citizen, I should go to a few. I'm not a big believer that Hafganot are the best way to go. I think they're very risky, you know, demonstrations. But, you know, I felt the whole country was demonstrating it's important that there be kipot there. Fine. So I went to Hafganot. And what was most interesting about this was I got to talk to people. And I got to talk to people I didn't normally speak with. Now, I'm thinking of myself as just Benny Friedman, you know, in a pair of black jeans and a sweater. But I have a keep on, right? And remember, a lot of these things were going on in warm weather, so they can see that I have tzitzis around my belt, right? So to some people, I guess I was in a completely different camp. So some guy comes over to me and starts screaming at me, right? And, and I realize what he's telling me is, don't think because we're so busy with the anti-judicial you know, judicial reform movement that we've forgotten about the settlers. You're a settler, and you're part of the problem, as he says to me. So I look at him now, you know me, I'm like, this is great. Like, I have a great story now for Parashashir. <laughs> Except it was in the summer, so there was nowhere to give Parashashir. They're okay, right? And I feel one day it's going to come up in a shear. So I start talking to the guy. I said, who do you think I am? He said, Ma, talo mitnachel? You're not a settler? I said, define a mitnachel. <laughs> right? So he took the bait. And he said, Ma, kol mishagar, anybody who lives over the green line, from my perspective, is an, an obstacle to peace. So we got into an interesting discussion, right? And I said, this is a great discussion. If you let me give you a hug at the end, he looked at me like I was out of my mind, right? But we had a dialogue. And I realized afterwards, we're not at peace. Now, it's more than that. Because this guy obviously had a lot of stuff going on, right? And, you know, we started talking about the Haredi. Like, there's nothing else to do. You're standing with 100,000 people. There's nowhere to go. You couldn't really get out of there even if you wanted to, right? So you have time to talk. Like, a person actually can't run away from the dialogue. Other people joined in. So it's an discussion. And I realized this guy had a lot of stuff going on. This wasn't just about the judicial reform, and it wasn't just about mitnachalim, which is a term I don't like unless it includes people who live in Tel Aviv, because I think we're all mitnachalim, right? Nachalat aretz, but okay, right? But, but this guy had fought in Lebanon, and he had a lot of stuff going on. He had no inner peace. And if you don't have inner peace, how are you going to make outer peace? Right? Imagine if, if, if you're a husband, and you come home, and you want to have a healthy marriage, but you're not a healthy person. How could you build a healthy marriage if you're not a healthy person? Right? So think about, right? This is not a list of six things. This is a recipe. This is a recipe for peace. A recipe for how we become whole and create a whole society. You understand? That's what this is. And there are two parts to this recipe. The first part to this recipe is, right, inner peace. Because before you have peace with others, you have to be at peace with yourself. So what are the two pieces of recipe for inner peace? Very simple. Tova and bracha. Now, we've, we've talked about this before, okay? But I'll bring it up again. Some people remember more. Some people remember less. You know, my opinion is that Hazar is good for the soul, right? So what is tova? That's very easy, right? Anybody remind me? We've talked about this so many times. There's only, right? It's very hard to define a word when it appears so often. If you're looking for context and understanding. But it happens to be that with tova, there are only two places in the entire Torah where it says that something is not good. Right? Lotov. What are those two instances? Okay. Lotov ayot adam levado. Hashem says it's not good for man to be alone. Which of course, it raises the question, why would Hashem create adam? Libriot. Why would Hashem create adam alone if it's not good for him to be alone? Anybody have a good answer to that question? It's a pretty obvious answer. So he sees what it's like. 
why, so, why needs the friendship. Okay, that could be. There's a problem with that, but the answer will suggest the problem with that. Yeah. <coughs> without Nakus. Pardon? You can't have good without Nakus. Uh, no, I'm not sure about that. You know, I uh, when I sit with my grandchild, there's nothing not good. It's just all good. No? I think it's simpler. Just say that until Hashem says it's not good for man to be alone, it was good for him to be alone. Listen, my oldest grandchild is nine years old. Can I know her? I don't want him married yet. I know in Yemen they used to do that. I don't think that's a good idea. It's good for him to be at least this type of alone. Now, there will come a point where it's not good. Baruch Hashem. You could make a case. You're Shana Aleph in, in, in Israel. And you're learning in Yeshiva. This isn't the type of yeshiva that runs after guys to stop them from seeing girls and break them up and all that kind of stuff. But if a person comes here and he has a serious girlfriend, it's going to distract him. In this instance, learning in, in Israel for the year, it's probably better to be alone. It's better to be at least that type of alone. So sometimes it's good. But the definition of that which is not good, what's the second instance where the Torah says something's not good? Anybody remember? No? Yitro comes and sees Moshe. And Moshe is judging alone all day. Because how could he say no to people who want, them to, who want him to hear their case? So all day he's sitting and judging on his own. And Yitro says, It's not good for you to be alone. You can't judge alone like this. The whole system of courts that we have comes from that comment. So therefore the definition of Lotov is to be other. To be alone. To be separate. So what's the definition of Tov? Tov is all about being together. That's why the Rambam and Hilchot calls balance Derech HaTovim. So if that's true, how is tov a recipe for inner peace? What is it that has to come together? Answer is everything. It's all part of a big picture. You want to have inner peace in your life? Know that it's all part of a big picture. Know that nothing is random. Know that it all comes together. Know that all the pain and all the tragedy, and that doesn't mean we're always going to understand it. But to the degree we're able to understand it, or at least believe that there's a picture to it, we can have inner peace. Now, it's easy to say that, sitting in our ivory tower here in the base Medrash. It's a little more difficult to say that on October 7th in the morning in Kfar Aza. But when you take a step back from it, you know, all of these events, how does a person have inner peace if he went through the Holocaust? Maybe if he says, well, but it's not an accident that the state of Israel happened three years later. Like, at least if you know that Hashem is running, you know, Anybody here ever been in the hospital with a serious illness, injury? You know, you had a terrible accident. We were a student many years ago, and he, got, uh, he was in one of these dumb football games, right? And he got smashed, and he broke his collarbone. And he was in agony, and they got him to the hospital, okay? And he went through a process. And, you know, he was all alone over Sukkot. There was actually a student here who took him in. It was an interesting story. And I was talking to him about it once a while later. And I said, when was... Because now he's happy. It's a good story, whatever. You know, he had a football injury. He said it turned around for him. It started to turn around when in the hospital, the, 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 one of the doctors came and said to him, don't worry, you're going to be okay. It's going to take a while. It takes a while to heal, but you're going to be okay. Now, he wasn't any less in pain a minute after the doctor said that than before the doctor said that. But he trusted that there was someone who knew what he was doing. And he said, I don't understand why this had to happen. And I don't understand where this is going to go. And, and I don't know, like, you can't put a cat. I mean, what, what do you do? But I'm in bigger hands. And, and I can tell you on a personal level, we've, we've talked about this many times. You know, you could be in a very dangerous situation. You could be scared. If, if you could put yourself in bigger hands, if you know it's going to be okay, and that's tov. Tov is everything that's happening 
is happening for a reason. It's, it's not, why are the leftists here? Why are the rightists here? Why are the Arabs here? Why are the Russians here? It's, whoever's here is here for a reason. <coughs> this is all part of a bigger picture. <coughs> you know, there are people now who are saying, well, if we could only get two million Arabs to leave Aza, Libria, to leave Aza, and, and go off to France. I don't know, maybe not France, whatever. Or maybe Dafka France, I don't know, right? right? <laughs> I'm a realist. I don't think that's a realistic, practical thing to do, but okay, right? I certainly don't think it's a, you know, if you offer an Arab $100,000 and he's willing to go overseas, just like if you offer a Jew $100,000 and he's willing to go overseas, you can agree or disagree with it. I don't think it's racist, but okay. But it's not realistic. But I can tell you that there will be Arabs who live next to us in this land because the Pasuk says so. Right? Yitzchak banav. Avram is buried by Yitzchak and Yishmael. There will come a time, Rashi quotes the Medrash, when the Jews and the Arabs were cousins. We're brothers. We'll learn to live together. We're not there right now. And I'm not a kumbaya, sort of, you know, eye in the sky. Like, there are practical things that need to be done right now. But it's all part of some bigger plan. So you can have inner peace. Right? We make a brach in the morning. Hamechin mitzadei gaver. He who prepares the footsteps of men. Everything's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, everything. It's all part of something bigger than me. Hashem's already got a plan. Right? That's Tov. What's the other aspect of Tov, by the way? The other aspect of Tov is, you know, disparate positions, disparate people coming together. Like, you may have one opinion, and you may have another opinion. But being able to understand both your opinions, hear both your opinions, and make them part of a larger synergy, that's what leads you to balance. That's Tov. So if you want to have inner peace, you have to have tov in your life. What's bracha? Right? So what's bracha? So on one level, we talked about, when we were studying Hilchot we talked about bracha as being an... Anybody remember? That's Kilchazar. No? Okay, Vashem berachet Avram bakol, that's Rosal Vajik. Hashem increases, right? Avram's wealth, he increases his progeny, he marries Keturah, has many more children, he, she may or may not have been Hagar, Right, so to increase the presence of Hashem in my life, right? If I do that, then I have inner peace. Uh, but there's also another way of looking at bracha, which is the Akedas Yitzchak of Yitzchak Arama. Rabbeinu Bachir talks about this, and that is bracha comes from the word. Anybody remember? And and No, no. Berach brach brecha. Okay, uh, a brecha pool. Why? Because when you see a pool of water, I'm really oversimplifying. This could be a shear in itself, but when you see a pool of water, you know it comes from somewhere. Brecha is the concept that Hashem is the source of everything in this world. That's why it's linked with Tova, because it brings everything together. Right? I don't know why uh, whoever just sneezed has to have a cold. But I can assure you that Hashem has decided that he has to have a cold. Now, by the way, there are different ways to look at this. I'm, I'm sharing this Brecha with you through the lens of Benny Friedman, of Rav Cook and Rav Salvejia. That's just how I look at the world. Uh, I'm not sure sure the Rambam would agree with all this, but you know, and I know Rav Blau doesn't, but that's okay. It's good to have machlokes in. You have to you have to help the briskers understand. You know how it is, right? But 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 that's what that's what a bracha is. In fact, the reason that the berach is the same word is just like when a camel sits down, right? When you bend the the the, the, the knee is the flexible part of the leg. The person stands on his legs; they're like a pillar. Hold him up. But you have to be flexible in life. So we bend the knees. When we say the word Baruch, right? As if to signify that we want to be flexible. We want to let Hashem in. Can't have a relationship with Hashem if you don't let Hashem in. So Tova and Bracha are basically about seeing Hashem in the world and utilizing that as a vehicle for inner peace. Okay? You know, whatever goes wrong in your day, 
if you really understand that it's all part of something bigger than you are, right? And you don't get stressed about it. By the way, to the degree that everything's part of something bigger, you not only don't get upset about it, you actually appreciate what a gift it is. I, was, uh, I made the mistake of telling my wife on, uh, I forget which day it was, Sunday or Monday? I forget which day it was. Um, we were coming in together, and I, I made the mistake saying before, wow, kids are getting an Aza. We're going to finally have some time to sit and talk with each other. We haven't had, you know, between running to the kids in the morning, running in the afternoon, me helping my parents. Like, there's a lot going on. It's my heart, Baruch Hashem, that we had. I literally have not had a chance to have a cup of coffee with my wife and have a proper conversation in months. It's been crazy. We haven't had a single Shabbos on our own. This stage, you get used to, like, once in a while, you get Shabbos on your own. We've been with my daughter and her kids. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. What a bracha, right? So, so in the morning, we get into the car, and there was some car accident in the tunnel. And we get all the way through a traffic jam to the tunnels, and they turned us around. We had to go all the way around. Then we went around, they turned us around again. We ended up about two and a half hours in the car to get to Yishalayim, right? And, you know, at the beginning, we're, like, getting annoyed because, like, we have to get to work, and I have a meeting, and there was a student. And then I realized, you know what? shouldn't open my mouth. Right, you know, Hashem said, "Oh, you want some time with your wife? I'll give you some time with your wife." And my wife said to me, "You know, think about this. Like, we just can't even be annoyed at being two and a half hours in a traffic jam. We have a car. Like, we live in a generation. We have cars. It's heated. It's you know, we have we can listen to podcasts if we want to. When our kids are not in Aza, like Baruch Hashem, like you can't even get annoyed. What does that mean? What that means is that when you take all the different pieces and you put them together, then you have inner peace." Now we get the second stage. So what's the second stage of peace? So that's chen, chesed, and rachamim. That is actually how I relate to the world. And I'll give you an example. I saw a small piece of an article yesterday or two days ago. Um, you know, on the one hand, we have to be sensitive. <coughs> 2.3 million Arabs that are living in pretty tight quarters in the Gaza Strip, Right? And, you know, innocent civilians should be protected and we should take care of them, right? But then he asked at the end of the article, so what exactly is an innocent Arab civilian? He's the director of Shifa Hospital, who it turns out was a colonel in Hamas, right? And allowed Shifa Hospital to become a brigade headquarters with munitions depots. And they even held hostages there for a few days until Tzal got there. Is he an innocent civilian? Is the doctor who worked in Rantisi Hospital, who actually kept a hostage in her attic for a week. Is she an innocent civilian? And the list goes on. Very complicated, right? How do I relate to that world? So there are three pieces to relate to that world. The first is chen. Now what is chen? Who has chen? Where is the first place that I find chen? Before Avram. Noach. Noach, not only matzachen, right? Right? Noach matzachen ben Hashem, right? Okay? Um, but Noach's name is Chain. Noach is the same letters as Chain. In fact, the problem with Noach is that the Chain gets backwards. So what is Chain? Right? Um, by the way, Chain is related to the root of Chon, okay, which is to encamp. When you think of the Jewish people being encamped, where's the first pe- time the Jewish people are encamped? Vayichan. Okay? They encamp under the mountain, right? And what does Rashi say, there say? Ki'ishachad, belevachad. Okay, so what is chen? Chen is, you know, I'll give you an example. I'll tell you a story I for sure told you before. So somebody yell out, no, no, we remember this, okay? Um, 
I was not the type of person who I thought would ever get married based on blind dating. I just, you know, the shidduch system, it's a wonderful system. I think there are a lot of advantages to it, but it wasn't for me. I thought, you know, I want to get to know her, I'll go meet, you know, I, wanted, I was looking for a girl who could go to a party, go to a shear, so you had to go to the shear and see a girl who could go to a, I don't want to talk about a party like they talk about in Maryland, I'm talking about like, you know, like a birthday party or something, right? Um, who could hang out, right? And, uh, or you go to a place where you're hanging out and see if a girl wants to go to a shear. But I had some friends and they insisted, you have to go out with this girl, this girl's amazing, she's for you, you're going to love her, it's crazy, you need to meet this girl, she's like you, whatever, fine. So after about like a few months, not only yeshiva, I'm learning for smicha, I really wasn't interested. But they kept talking me. So finally I said, okay, you know, I'll go out with her. So you know, it's like, I'll wear a blue sweater, you wear a red sweater, we'll meet in front of Cafe Atara, I'm Ben Yehuda, and I'm walking down Ben Yehuda. Do you remember the story? And I'm walking down Ben Yehuda Street. You remember the story, right? And I'm walking down Ben Yehuda Street, and I see this girl, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Now I know it's all about midos. We're starting to look at the inside. But there's a reason you have big day kahuna. Like, you have to first get through the outside, and I'm like, why on earth did they ever think that I... Now I know this is very low level of tone. What can I say? I am who I am. But, and it was so bad that I thought, maybe I'll just dump my sweater in an alley and just go over to see if Benny Friedman can't make it, you know, whatever. But then you know how it is. You'll run into her. They'll, they'll put you next to her at some wedding a week later. So I just figure I'll, 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 I'll deal. So I walk down, introduce myself, we're going to Cafe Atar, and I'm already making my excuses. I said, you know, I actually have somewhere that I do have to go, and I thought, but I thought you'd think I was ditching you, so I came, but I can't stay as long as I'd like to, whatever, fine. So we sit down, and I order the soup. Soup is safe. You can eat soup fast. You can eat it slow. You don't have to spend a lot of money. It's a good move, right? So I order the soup. We're sitting there talking, and the truth is, she was really funny. Very interesting girl. Very funny. And I find myself enjoying this conversation. And I started to realize, you know, she's not so... She's okay, right? <laughs> and then I realized, this is stupid. I'm having a good time. I have nowhere I have to be, you know? It's like, I might as well. So I ordered the grilled cheese, right? So we're sitting talking, and I start to realize this girl's actually cute. She's really cute. Now, I didn't think she was for me, but by the time I got up, I said, I know who is. I'm really bad at this. I'm really... It's the only one to my credit. Uh, I, I, I finished date, you know, and I kind of, I forget, I think I called her back like a few days later and said, look, I don't think this is for me. And she said, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's for me either, but I think I know would you be open to it? And I set her up with a guy, and they got married, so I know why I was there. It's the only shidduch I have, but, because he has the same sense of humor, but, but, but how did that happen? How did she go from being ugly <laughs> to cute? I know, I'm going again, and what can I tell you? At least I'm honest, right? <laughs> That's chen. Chen is the beauty that's encamped inside your soul. Chen is, is, is the beauty inside, okay? Chen is the ability to see everybody around you as created with Salam Elohim, right? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a I think it's a Gur Aryeh, who says, like, how could, how could Avram Avinu not realize that these three people coming towards him were malachim. <coughs> Why did he treat them like everybody? He says, oh no, it was the Slenimer. He says, because Avram saw everybody as malachim. Avram treated everybody special. Right? That's how you look at the world. If you look at the world, now this is not naivete. If you're going into a house and, you know, there's a booby trap. <coughs> You have to assume that there's, you know, there were four terrorists killed in uh, Janine, I think. They were hiding inside a building that was booby-trapped. And they were waiting to take out, right? I heard a horrendous, horrendous story 
of um, uh, a fellow and his wife who were locked in a, who were basically in a miklat in, uh, I forget which, I think it was Kfaraza, for like 24 hours until they were finally saved with no electricity, no water, with a baby. And uh, his brother and his brother's wife were murdered. But their twin babies were in the crib and the Hamasnikim left them there for 14 hours until they were rescued by Golani soldiers. And the reason that they survived for 14 hours was they left them there to cry because Mechablim waited inside the house knowing that Israelis, Israeli soldiers would come to see if they could rescue these babies. And so they killed many people by using the babies. And the, the, their, their, the woman who's on this podcast, you can listen to this story on it. It's a Barry Weiss podcast. It, don't listen to it on an Arab Shabbos. Listen to it like on a Sarabateves or something. But, but she said like, they know now because they found all, you know, the terrorists were there. They were in and out. They were sitting there for 14 hours. They didn't give these babies any food. They didn't give them any water. They weren't even covered properly. They just screamed for 14 hours. In fact, uh, uh, they, they met some of the, you know, they're, they're not bringing them up, but they met some of the Golani soldiers who saved these kids, their, their nephews, and they said that when they got to them, you know, they, they, they covered them and they cleaned them and they, they, you know, they washed their hands. They didn't want to even hold them until they washed their hands. It was not to make it worse. And they said that each of these babies drank three whole bottles. They give them three whole bottles. If you know anything about nursing, you know, it's like a third of a bottle normally of feeding. So she said, how could, I can't sit next to a baby crying for two minutes without picking. How did they sit there for 14 hours? These are not human beings. Not true. Every human being is a human being. If you capture one of these terrorists and you tie his hands behind his back and you put a zikim on him and you blindfold him and you've done everything you need to subdue him, then you got to go back to this isn't just about me. How a human being can reach that level of animal, that's beyond my comprehension. But he's still a human being, right? If you ever want to get to peace, you have to see the Tzalamel came in the world around you. You have to have chen. And you have to be a vehicle of chen, right? What does it mean to have chen? I don't know. The best example I could think of is Ravim Tversky. There are people in this world who are so magnificent that you just grow from being around them. To become such a person, you can't plan to be such a person. It comes from the inside, right? What is chesed? What's the difference between chesed and rachamim? We're running out of time. What's the difference between chesed and rachamim? Anybody know? Kindness when you deserve it and you don't deserve it. Excellent. Chesed is when you do something for someone, right? Even though he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it, but you do it for him anyway. Rachamim is when a person, dafka, deserves that you shouldn't do it. Now, rachamim is not for him. It's for the world. The world needs rachamim. Rachamim is beyond comprehension. It's not like din. Din is where what you do and what I do make sense. And I'll just finish with two things. There's a lot more to talk about, but big believer, less is more, right? Um, there's a, the last mission in Oktin. Does anybody know why Oktin, the Masechta of Oktin, is a unique Masechta? I know, no? Probably most of you never studied Oktin, right? It's in Taros. It's the last Masechta in Mishnayos of Shas. So if you go Kaseir and you get to Oktin, that's the end. So what's the last Mishnah in Oktin? That would be pretty important because that's how Chazal decided to end all of Shas, right? So I'm reading you the second half of the Mishnah, right? Um, I'm Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta. This is how Shas ends because Taros is after the end of the Bavli, right? We don't have, we only have Nidam, right? I'm Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta. Lo matzah kadosh baruchu kli machzik bracha li Yisrael el ha-shalom. 
the ultimate vessel to hold bracha, to be able to increase the presence of Hashem in your life, to see Hashem as the source of reality, is shalom. Hashem has to give us oz, he has to give us the strength to be able to do what we need to do. But the goal, the goal is to be shalom. And, and uh, Kahati quotes the Tosos, the Tosos Yomtev, sorry. Um, none of the brachos in the world, none of the, nothing works if you don't have shalom. Right? So, so what does this mean? Right? How do you get to peace? Let's think about this for a minute. And then I'll open the floor to questions because we have 15 minutes. Right? The first is, if you want to have peace, you have to have a partner who wants peace. You have to have a partner who wants peace. Shlemut, right, is not um, imposition. That's not peace. Shlemut is wholeness. Wholeness can only happen if two people want the same thing. Right? Okay. We don't have a partner who wants peace right now, unfortunately. And until we get one. And by the way, the solution to that is pretty simple. If you're curious in a minute, you can ask me. Right? Um, second rule for peace, somebody has to have won the war. Because otherwise we're still at war. Now what does that mean? If they think, if, if we think we won the war, and they think we didn't win the war, then we're still at war. Whether we're actually fighting or not. Okay? And the third is that this has to be based on this bracha. It has to be based on a love of life. It has to be based <coughs> on the tzedek, right? We didn't talk about tzedek, but that's the idea that what's right has to be right. You know, if you ask me how we got into this entire journey, it's because we began to cross our own red lines. We started to give up on our principles. I'll give you an example. And I'm not judging anybody, because I did the same thing, to be honest. But this is very clear. So Hezbollah shoots an anti-tank weapon and hits a mutzav, I don't know, Dvoranit. And thank God nobody's hurt. But Israel realizes it has to react. So what does it do? It has a target base. Right? It has a, 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 a target uh, uh, repository of like tens of thousands of targets in South Lebanon and Lebanon. They know where every bomb-making factory is, every missile factory. The same thing for Raza. How did they all of a sudden get in there and take out all these missile factories and take out, you know, and find everything? Because a lot of them, they knew they were there. Maybe not under hospitals, but they suspected, right? So let me ask you a question. You know that in southern, in southern Lebanon, they have built a bomb factory and they're making missiles. You know what they want to do with those missiles. It's not in case... You know, the Libyans attack them. You're at war. Why don't you take out that missile factory? So you basically make peace. Now, by the way, there was an agreement signed at the end of the Second Lebanon War. It's called 1701. There's a whole grassroots movement starting that 1007 should lead to 1701. It's the same numbers, right? That we should push them back above Litani because that was the agreement. So they abrogate the agreement. So what does Israel do? Complaints to the UN. What does the UN do? They send it to a committee. What does the committee do? They say, no, sorry, you're Israel. So basically you're making peace with war. You can't make peace with war. You can't do it on a national level. You can't do it on a, on a, on a, on a global level. And you can't do it on a personal level. There are things in this world you can't make peace with. And if you ever want to get to inner peace, you have to know what those things are and how to resolve them. Right? It all starts with inner peace. It all starts with our ability to know that whatever happens, that Hashem runs the world. So that's a little bit of food for thought. I would just finish by saying, when you get to this bracha at Mincha, right, Simshom, take a pause. Like, do I have inner peace? Do the people around me have inner peace? How do we arrive at peace? What does peace mean? Will we be whole? You know, the biggest challenge, 
I heard a radio show yesterday. What's the biggest challenge after the war? The biggest challenge after the war. What are they talking about now? Pardon? Rebuilding Gaza. Right? Rebuilding Gaza. What's going to happen to the Azatis? That's not the biggest challenge. That's really not. Yeah. The biggest challenge is, do we keep talking to each other? You know why there's achdut now? There is a lot of achdut. There's a lot of unity. Two reasons. One is because we share a common goal. So we can put aside our differences. But you know what the bigger reason is? Because we're talking to each other. Right? This is the Ramban. Right? His brothers see him from a distance, and they hate him. And that's why when he comes, they throw him in a pit. You can only hate someone when you see him from a distance. We have to find ways to create healthy dialogue. One of the ambassadors yesterday was saying that there's a whole, there are whole groups of, of, um, of, uh, of students who were never in the Jewish tent, really, and now they're coming to the table. So you get to talk to them. Don't let that dialogue die. <coughs> Find ways to continue talking. <coughs> right? All right, for both sides, thanks for listening. A little food for thought. <coughs>